Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N.com forward slash free. Now on to the show. the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is an entrepreneur and business owner with expertise in marketing and business growth. He has over 20 years of entrepreneurial experience with a passion for developing and growing businesses. Please welcome to the show, Tim Fitzpatrick of Rialto Marketing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy to be here, Sarah. Appreciate it. And can you tell us a little bit of your background, how you got into marketing? Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll make a, a long story short. You know, when I got out of college in 1996, I, I got involved in a wholesale distribution company and we were selling consumer electronics into the custom installation space. So we were basically selling wholesale to contractors who were installing home theater and distributed audio, all kinds of fun toys. And I grew that business for about nine years. We grew about 60% a year. And then we sold it. And I, I continued to work for that company for another three years. And then at that point, the Great Recession hit. And company that had bought us was a public company. They really started freaking out and they closed 30% of the branch locations. And so I, I was a casualty in that. And at that point, I took some time off, figured out what I wanted to do. And I actually transitioned into into residential real estate at that point. And I learned a lot. It was a very humbling experience. I realized what I did and did not like about business. And I did that for about three years. I had some success. I was door knocking on foreclosures around the 2010, 2011 time. But man, I just, I hated going to work every day. And that's a horrible feeling. So at that point, I started looking at what I could do, where I could shift. And I started thinking back on my distribution experience. And I just, I loved working with small businesses, helping them grow, seeing their businesses grow. And so at that point, I said, look, I know what it's like to run a business. I know how to market and grow businesses. So I'm going to get involved in marketing. And, and that's what we did. Got involved in marketing and, and started helping small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their business because marketing is obviously a fundamental aspect of growing a business. And how did you get the name Rialto? <laughs> Twofold. One is somewhat selfish. My wife and I went to Venice for our honeymoon and the Rialto Bridge is a bridge in Venice. But the flip side to that is with marketing, I view marketing as a way where we are helping clients get from where they are to where they want to be. And that's exactly what bridges do. They take you from one side to the other. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I was yeah. I was trying to figure it out because I'm like, well, your last name isn't Rialto. I figured it was some kind of Italian word, but yeah, no, you're right on. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful bridge in Venice. So, how long have you had the business then? 
I have had the business since about 2013. I started it. And then what different types of marketing do you help with? We get involved in a, in a lot of aspects of marketing. You know, I like to say we've got a mix of done for you so we can be an outsourced partner for a business or done with you where we get more involved from an outside eyes perspective from a coaching and consulting standpoint. And so we focus heavily on marketing strategy, which I consider the fundamentals of marketing. And then we get involved in website design content marketing, SEO, social media marketing, email, and then pay-per-click advertising or online advertising. So we like to be able to offer as much as we can under one roof because it's a lot easier for the client. One of the downsides I see, you know, a lot of small business owners, they know that they need to market and they end up bringing people in and they're working with two or three different marketing providers. And the challenge they have is they struggle with how to manage those people. They, sometimes they don't know exactly what those people are supposed to be doing and their marketing becomes very disjointed because of that. You got a website person doing one thing and you got a social person doing another. They're not talking to each other. The owner doesn't really know what each one of them is doing and it, it just creates problems. So we like to be able to be a one-stop shop. Hey, we're your outsourced marketing partner and we can handle this side of your business so that you can focus on the highest and best use of your time. So most people that come to you, do they end up using all your services? Is it kind of like an all included or is it all a cart? It can be both. It just depends on where they are. And that's another thing I think that differentiates a, a bit as well is there's a lot of companies that, you know, if you're not spending three, four or $5,000 a month, you're not a good fit for them. Whereas, you know, the way I look at it is if we can help somebody get started and help them grow their business, their marketing and what and their needs will change and increase and grow. And we will be a part of that if we can help them grow their business, right? So as their needs change, maybe they only need a website to start. Great. We'll put a website together for you, help you with that. But as your business grows, you're going to need other things. And that's how our business can grow. When I was in the distribution business, it was the same way. Sometimes we had customers that did bought barely anything. And because we fostered that relationship, kept in touch with them, helped them, when their businesses took off, we benefited because of that. So some of our largest customers were our smallest three years prior. So I like to keep an open mind because you never know where people's business are going to go. And, you know, I also think it diversifies our client base, which in a market like this is really important. Because if you only have 10 clients that are paying you five grand a month and you lose half of them, you got big problems, right? Whereas if you've got a mix of larger clients, but a good pool of smaller clients, those smaller clients, are they're pretty consistent. Because if you've got a website with us, well, odds are, no matter what's going on, you need a website if you're still in business. So those clients are really consistent. So we can a la carte, or if you need full-blown outsource marketing, we can help with that as well. So how many people do you have on your team? We have, it's myself, I've got three contractors that work with me. And then some of the services that we offer, we outsource to other providers. We're still that single point of contact, mm -hmm. right? You can't be all things to all people, right? So I, I like to think that our expertise really lies in the marketing fundamentals that lay the foundation for success, getting their website up and going, making sure that that's got solid messaging. It's going to capture leads and help them convert. And then a lot of the other stuff that we get into, we will outsource. You know, we work with some of the best people out there and make sure that the clients get the best, but nobody can possibly be great at all of the services that we provide. It's just not possible. Right. But yeah. it is possible if you work with contractors that are great at those individual 
services. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely more convenient for your clients to just have one point of contact, one place that versus hiring out all these different people individually on your own. Yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about before. Rather than the business owner having to reach out to three different people or four different people, they have one point of contact. It's much, much easier to manage. I imagine on your end, though, it's kind of hard in a way to manage. My philosophy in almost everything is to keep things as simple as possible. It's so easy to overcomplicate things, but if you can boil things down to their most simple form, they can still be extremely effective and they're much, much easier to manage. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a bit about your three fundamentals of marketing? Right. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I mentioned the fundamentals lay the foundation for marketing success. I have Michael Jordan once said, when you get the fundamentals down, the level of everything else you do will rise. And I believe that's true in marketing. I believe that's true in all aspects of life. If you skip the fundamentals, the fundamentals lay the foundation for you to build the rest of your house. So you can build a house without a foundation. It's not going to last very long. So with marketing, you got to have those fundamentals in place. And I like to call them the marketing strategy trilogy. So you've got your target market, you have your messaging, and then you've got to have a system or a plan that you can follow to execute on your marketing. So with with your target market, what does that include? One, you've got to understand who your ideal clients are. You can't be all things to all people. I don't I don't remember who said it, but they once said that if you try to reach everyone, you reach no one. So you've really got to have a good understanding of who your ideal clients are. Most businesses will have two to three different ideal client types, and that's totally okay. I just don't think you want to have more than that. Now, just because you are going to market to a specific one, two, or three ideal client types doesn't mean that you're going to only work with those types of clients, right? You've got to have an idea of who you're going to market to. Once you understand who your ideal clients are, then we get into, from a target market standpoint, the customer journey. The easiest way to describe the customer journey is it's the experience that a potential customer or a customer is going to have from the minute they think about doing business with a company like yours, all the way through buying, doing repeat and referral business. So I'm part of the duct tape marketing network. And the philosophy with duct tape is we look at the customer journey as an hourglass. We're all familiar with an hourglass. The sand starts at the top and filters all the way down to the bottom. And there are seven levels phases of that customer journey. There's no like trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. And when we look at the customer journey, what we're looking at is what are our prospects and our customers' expectations, needs, what actions are they taking at each phase of the journey? Because when we understand that, the last part of our target market is figuring out what type of content or what types of systems or procedures we need to have in place to meet those needs and expectations at each phase. Because what happens when you meet an expectation at the first phase, you help them move to the next and then the next and the next and the next. And so that's where your target market comes in. Your ideal clients, customer journey, and then what content are we going to create to help them move through that journey? Then you've got your messaging. So your messaging is going to help create clarity and engagement. One of the big mistakes people make is they don't communicate clearly what they do. And we have such short attention spans at this point. I always bring this up. I don't even remember where I saw it, but it was a a statistic about the attention span of humans at this point is eight seconds, which is less than a goldfish. So if somebody lands on your website and they immediately can't understand what you do and how they're going to benefit, they're gone. 
They're moving on to your competitors. So we've got to create really strong messaging that is clear and engaging. And the way we do that, we follow a storytelling framework. So I I wish I could tell you that I created it and made it up. I did not. We follow a framework from a company called StoryBrand, which was come up by Donald Miller. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have. A lot of people have heard about it. It's becoming very, very popular. It's simple. It makes sense to most people and it works. So we love it. And that framework just follows a common storytelling framework that we're all familiar with, where you've got a character who has a problem. They meet a guide that gives them a plan that calls them to action so that they can avoid failure and reach success. And so when you use this framework, it invites your customer into the story where your customer is the hero and you are the guide. Because customers aren't looking for heroes, they're looking for a guide, going back to my bridge analogy that is going to get them from where they currently are to where they want to be. So I love it. I, I wish I came up with it, but when I was introduced to it, it just made a ton of sense to me and we have fully embraced it and customers get a lot out of it. So that's your messaging. Third aspect of the trilogy is you got to have a system or a plan. Your plan helps you understand when and what you execute on right? A lot of people battle confusion when it comes to marketing because there's so many things going on. There's so many different channels. You know, I'm confused about where should I focus my marketing right now? You know, why is my website not generating more leads? I don't know, right? And if I'm battling confusion, I can't possibly create a plan, which is why we come back to these fundamentals get your target market in place, get your messaging in place, then you can focus on creating a plan. And I will tell you right now, I'm recommending people don't create a marketing plan any more than 90 days. Keep them simple. Don't overcomplicate them. Focus on your marketing for 90 days. Measure what works, what doesn't, and then wash, rinse, and repeat. Put another plan in place and just keep going. Your plan will allow you, one, it gives you a framework to follow so you know what to focus on so you don't get distracted, and it's gonna help you give consistent and repeatable results. So those are the fundamentals that we like to focus on before we start jumping into some of those more tactical channels like your website or content and, and all that fun stuff. So that hourglass you're talking about, like seven steps, Do you is there an image of that somewhere online? Yes, there is. And I can get that to you. Okay. I'll include that in the show notes then. Yeah, I'll, I'll get all that stuff to you because it's easy for people to understand. You can just see how that customer journey really works. Yeah, I think it'll be if people can visualize it and see that that'll be helpful. Yeah, super, super important. Because if you think about it, if you don't have a plan, you don't know who you're trying to reach, you don't know what you're going to say to people, how effective is your marketing going to be? It's not. There are a lot of really effective marketing channels out there at this point. I mean, you know, there's people using social media, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. You've got search engine optimization to help you drive traffic. You've got email marketing, but all of those channels rely on who's your target market and what are you going to say to those people to engage them and communicate clearly to them. So if you don't have those things in place, you may have some success in those channels, but it's not going to be as nearly as effective as it should and could be. Do you have any marketing tips for social media and SEO in particular? I would tell you, again, based on our philosophy, keep things simple at first. It can be very overwhelming. I mean, social media and SEO, you could go to a three, four, five day long training on each of those and still not know everything. I mean, they're changing all the time. Start simple, figure out again, where is your target market on social media? That's where you need to be. 
And don't try to get too many channels. Oh, I need to be on these five social networks. No. If you try to do all five at once, you will not do any of them well. Start with one, make sure you're doing it well, and then you can start to expand from there. But the thing that I think a lot of people skip with social is they forget it is social. You can't just post a status update and think that that's going to attract a bunch of followers. It's not. You've got to interact and engage with people if you really want to get traction with social. From an SEO standpoint, the first place I think any business should focus is the SEO on their website. That's the fundamental foundation for SEO. Make sure you got your SEO dialed in on your website first, then you can start to expand into other channels that are going to get you know a little bit more advanced and frankly, take a little bit of time. But I think the thing that's important to remember with any marketing is marketing takes time and it is an investment. It is not an expense. So what's happening right now a lot of people are cutting back on their marketing. I'm biased, right? But I think that's a mistake because all of your competitors are cutting back on their marketing too. Now is the time to actually at least keep your marketing at the status quo, if not increase it. Because as things change and the market starts to go up, you will be much better poised than your competitors to grow exponentially. But if you view marketing as an expense, it's something that you can cut. Whereas if you view it as an investment, it's something you do month in, month out, and it just continually builds upon itself and grows. For the listeners, some of them are probably on a budget and like to do some of this stuff themselves. Do you have any recommendations on how to do it on your own without getting overwhelmed and confused? Yeah, I. you know what I'll do? I will, I'll send you some stuff that you can include in the show notes. Okay. That I think will be a helpful place for them to get started. Because yes, it can be overwhelming. Again, it's that confusion. It's I've got to do this, 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 and that. No, start with one thing. Each step gets you one step closer to where you want to be, but you got to walk before you run. So again, it's going to come back to, you got to understand your target market. You have to figure out what you're going to say to them with your messaging, and then you can start to put a plan in place. But I'll give you some tools that your audience can use as a base to get started. Okay, yeah, that'll be great. And what you said about social media, it's interesting because I hear both sides. I hear the start with one, get really good at it, and then move on to another. And then I hear the, oh, you got to be everywhere. And Yeah, my opinion is most people, if they try to be everywhere, they're not going to do a good job. Mm. They're going to get confused. It's going to be tough for them. Now, having said that, it does depend on your resources. If you've got a large budget and you can pay somebody to, to do it for you, right? Like we might manage for somebody. Well, that's one thing Then maybe you can take on more. But if it's just you or maybe you've got another staff person, along with all the other things that have to happen in running a business, you're going to run out of time. And so focus on the one that you know your where your target market is get that foundation in place, and then you can start to expand from there. I just think most people are going to, they're going to fail if they try to take on too much at one time. And then if you are just starting with one platform, and I, I guess it depends on your target audience and where they are, but is there one in particular that you would recommend starting with one social media to focus on, I guess? Yeah, I think in general terms, Facebook, and if you are in the business to business space, LinkedIn, Absolutely. It, 
Personally, if I'm in business to business and I can only do one, I would be on LinkedIn first and then I would expand to Facebook. If I'm more consumer focused, I would be on Facebook. But people say all the, I hear people say all the time, oh yeah, I'm business to business. My customers aren't on Facebook. No, believe me, there's a very high likelihood that your customers are on Facebook. So I wouldn't necessarily write it off. The other thing that you can do too, when you're trying to identify, hey, where are my customers? from a social standpoint is look at what are your competitors doing? You can you don't need to follow their page to go look at it. How often are they posting? How many followers do they have? How many people are commenting, sharing, you know, engaging with their content? Those are the channels where you probably want to be as well. But if you're not sure, look at what some of your competitors are doing and where they're having success. Because if they're having success there, there's a high likelihood that, that that's a place you need to be. Yeah, that's a good point. And a quick free and easy way to kind of figure out where you need to be and what kind of conversations you need to start and what you need to post. As far as Facebook goes, I know as time goes on, the worse it gets as far as people seeing your posts, unless you boost it. Yes. To me, I feel like Facebook really only works now if you do an ad. Social media has predominantly become pay to play. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you can get, you know, what you're referring to there is organically, how many people see my stuff without me paying for it to be in front of their face. Organic reach has gone down significantly on almost every social channel. There is one exception right now that I'm seeing, and that is live video and video. So live video on Facebook, great, great reach and engagement compared to other types of content. LinkedIn, we're seeing that, you know, when you upload, it's very difficult right now to get on LinkedIn live. There's a backlog, there's a lot of people. So it's hard to get approved, but live video on LinkedIn, but even if you're uploading video to LinkedIn, uploaded video on LinkedIn compared to written posts, performs a lot better. So there is a lot of opportunity with video in general and live video specifically. Yeah, the way I kind of view it is I've kind of figured out that each social platform is kind of good for one thing. Facebook for ads, Twitter for conversations, Instagram for photos, Pinterest if you have a shop, that's probably the best place for that, I think. Instagram if you do that, You could include a link in the description, but it's not clickable. And then, of course, there's TikTok now, which I haven't joined, but I'm hearing everyone saying, oh, you got to do TikTok now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's always going to be a new hot channel that where you have to be. So I don't know. With things like that, I think it's if you're an early adopter and you want to jump on and see how it works, you know, go for it. But if you're limited on time and budget, I think you're better off sticking to what you know or have a better idea is going to work rather than experiment, you know? And with a lot of small business owners, especially in a down market like we're in now, you do need to experiment with your marketing, but you don't have an unlimited budget. So you need to be careful where you experiment. I think right now you're a lot better shape focusing on more proven channels rather than spending money that you could potentially be flushing down the toilet. And on your website, it also mentions reputation management. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, I view reputation management as part of SEO for the most part, but reputation management is all about online reviews. How do you get more online reviews? You know, what type of system do you put in place? How do you manage your online reviews? But reviews 
are incredibly important in getting new customers, converting customers. It can't be neglected. You know, if you don't have a process in place to consistently ask for reviews and make it as easy as possible for people to leave a review, odds are very high that you're not going to get reviews. If you focus on it and you've got a system in place to consistently do it, hey, people want to help other people. You just need to make it easy for them. And so when you do that, you'll get more reviews. And depending on the, the market or the niche that you're in, it doesn't take that many Google reviews to stand out significantly from your competitors. And with local businesses especially, your online reviews play a factor in whether and where you rank in search results. So online reviews is very low-hanging fruit for a lot of business. Yeah, it seems like reviews or ratings, I guess, kind of go along with that. And referral marketing. Oh, you could you could call those the three R's. Reviews, yeah, ratings, yes, and referrals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all go they all go hand in hand. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, if I need an electrician, I do a Google search, right? And I look at reviews. If I'm buying something on Amazon, I look at the reviews. Most people are looking at reviews and reviews heavily impact their buying decision. So if we if we neglect that as a business, we're losing business. And the big problem with that is you're losing business and you don't even know it. What do you suggest are good ways to get reviews other than just asking? I mean, does it seem like people almost need an incentive? No, you need to be careful too about whether you incentivize for reviews because a lot of the platforms, that's a Mm no-no and you can get in trouble for doing it. What I like to recommend people doing, one, there are services out there that make review gathering easier. Companies like Grade.us is one. Grade.us actually caters more towards marketing companies, but you know, where they've got a whole review gathering system, but it doesn't have to be difficult. It's really just a matter of, hey, it depends on how much volume you have too. If you're working with five clients a month, that's something that you can do fairly easy. It's just, okay, at the completion of the project or after the sale, we're sending them a sequence of emails asking for a review. And we've got a link directly to our Google page so that they can leave a review, right? If you want to get more advanced, you can, you know, you can drive people to a page on your site where you've got direct links to multiple review sites. But the big thing is you need to ask in one way, shape or form, whether it's verbally, text, email, you got to ask, then you got to make it easy for them to do it. Don't expect them to find your Google page or your Facebook page, give them the direct links where they can leave the review. That's the second thing. And then once that's happening, I think what's critical is responding to your reviews, whether they're positive or negative. Let people know, hey, thanks so much. Loved working with you. You know, glad you had a great experience. Or if you fell short and they left a bad review, then respond to it, but take it offline. You know, hey, I'm so sorry. We strive for 100% satisfaction. Sorry we fell short. Please reach out to us here. Give them an email, give them a phone number, and we'll do everything to resolve your situation. But don't go back and forth online, right? I think we've all seen those times where, you know, somebody left a bad review and the owner jumped on. You could just tell they were just pissed and defensive and they write this email and it's just, nope, that's that's a bad look. Mm-hmm. Take it offline, but show that you respond because guess what? What do we care about? We just want a business, we don't expect people to be perfect, but when they fall short, we do expect them to remedy the situation. And so if people go on to your, your reviews and they see, one, you're responding, you're proactive, you care 
oh, there's a bad review. Oh, look at that. They responded. Because how many of us have had experiences where we reach out to somebody because they didn't do a good job? And what do you hear? Crickets. That is like the most infuriating thing as a consumer. You know, it's like, well, you cared about me before you took my money. Once you took my money, now you don't care. So just respond to reviews and you'll differentiate yourself from most competitors because most people don't even respond, positive or negative. But if you respond, I think it shows that you're proactive, that you care and Those are the types of people that most people want to do business with. Is there a particular review platform that if you had to recommend one that you would recommend? Because I know there's Google, there's Yelp, there's, and of course, as a podcaster, there's a bunch of different, there's Apple, et cetera. In general, I think Google is the most important. It's the best place to start because when people search your name in Google, to find out more about you, your Google My Business page shows up on the right-hand side and your reviews are right there. So in general, for most people, Google, I think, is the most important place to start. Having said that, depending on your niche, there may be industry or niche-specific sites that could be really important for you. So like you mentioned podcasting, you know, I mean, for podcasting, getting reviews on Apple and Google Play and Stitcher or wherever your podcast is listed, for a podcast, those are probably a lot more important than Google. But for a general business, Google is a great place to start. Yeah. And and so speaking of reviews, if anyone is listening to this and would like to leave a review. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Yeah. I do have a on my website where my player is, it does have a review. But the thing is, is it can only link, it only links to Apple. But it's like, if so, if someone is listening on another platform. I don't know. I guess if they're listening to it within an app, it should have a rate and review button within the app. Yeah. Feel free to rate and review wherever you're listening. (laughs) There you go. That's it. First step in the process, right? You got to (laughs) ask. Well, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to go over that we haven't discussed? No, I think we covered a lot of ground and hope your audience find some of it valuable for where they're at. Well, I appreciate it. And people can find you at rialtomarketing.com, R-I-A-L-T-O, Rialto. And then I'll also have show notes that'll have the various things that you've mentioned at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Rialto, R-I-A-L-T-O. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It was, it's been fun and, and a pleasure. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners Share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.